Welcome back to another episode of Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I am coming to you on the brink of the college basketball season. So far this fall, it's been football, 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 but we're here in November. The college basketball season is about to get underway, and if you love college sports, then this is an absolutely fantastic time of year. Today, we are going to get into some college basketball storylines that I'm looking forward to as the season is about to get underway. But first, a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. If you like the show, we'd love if you leave us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. You can also find me on Twitter, at GorgOnSports. Okay, enough of the pleasantries, enough of the formalities. Let's get into this 2022 college basketball season. I'm going to give you a few storylines that I am looking forward to, and I'm going to start with what does the ACC look like in 2022? This is going to be a new look ACC. It's really easy when you look back at that 2021 season and think about the ACC to think about just those two Duke-North Carolina games, the two Carolina wins, one in Cameron on Coach K's last home game, and one against Duke in the Final Four. Years from now, that's all anybody will remember about the ACC season. But let me tell you, the ACC wasn't very good in the regular season last year. It's a dirty little secret because those two games overshadowed everything, and North Carolina ended up going to the national championship game, but the conference as a whole was not very good. The ACC had just five teams make the NCAA tournament, and four of those five teams, including North Carolina, were seated eighth or worse. Ken Palm, which is one of my favorite websites, great college basketball analytics website, predictive analytics, probably the gold standard in college basketball, predictive analytics. He had the ACC, Ken Palm did, as the fifth best league. And now this year, there's no Coach K anymore. Coach K has retired. Roy Williams, this is the second year without him in the league. So who is the dean of ACC coaches now? Probably Leonard Hamilton at Florida State, and he has had one of the most consistent programs year after year after year at Florida State, but they had a down year last year, and they didn't make the NCAA tournament for the first time in a while. So can Florida State get back on track? Tony Bennett, the guy that everybody has raved and raved and raved about for good reason at Virginia, getting that program a national championship in 2019, But since winning that national championship, they haven't been national championship caliber. Last year, Virginia missed the tournament altogether. The year before that, had a pretty good season, earned themselves a four seed, but suffered a first-round upset loss at the hands of Ohio, which kind of harkened back to that first round 16 over one upset that they suffered to UMBC the year before winning the national championship. So while Tony Bennett has done some unbelievable things at Virginia and has reached the peak there, they've dropped a little bit in recent years. So can he get them back to the point 
where they are dominating the ACC year in and year out. So it's not all doom and gloom for the ACC, and I don't mean to make it sound that way, because they do have the preseason number one team in the AP poll in North Carolina. And North Carolina, I don't know what the live odds were at halftime of the national championship game last year, but North Carolina was probably a pretty heavy favorite to take home the national championship in Hubert Davis's first year at halftime of that game. And we all know what happened. Kansas came back and won that game. But North Carolina returns four of five starters from a team that went to the national championship game last year, could have won a national championship, and now they are number one in the preseason poll. My question with North Carolina is, are they the team that we saw from November to March, or are they the team that we saw throughout the month of March? Because North Carolina had a very drastic, drastically different regular season and postseason. They were an inconsistent team throughout much of the regular season. Even in the ACC tournament, they lost to Virginia Tech. They lost by 13 to Virginia Tech uh, after upsetting Duke in Coach K's last game in Cameron, I thought, okay, North Carolina, maybe they've really figured this thing out now. They had won five straight to end the regular season after suffering a very bizarre home loss to Pitt. And I thought they had a good chance to go win the ACC tournament. Lo and behold, they lose to Virginia Tech, but then they very much figure it out in the NCAA tournament. So the question is now... They return a ton of guys. They return Armando Baycott, who is a preseason All-American. But how do they handle playing with a target on their back? It's a little different, and there is a different mentality and a different mindset when you are an underdog, when you are an eight-seed in the tournament, and you have nothing to lose, where nobody expects a ton from you. Now, you can make the argument at North Carolina, there are always high expectations, and I do buy that, but I think last year was kind of a free roll for them, especially in Hubert Davis's first year, especially with an inconsistent regular season. They had nothing to lose going into that NCAA tournament, and it reminds me a little bit of UCLA the year before in the 2021 tournament, and that's a team, that Bruins team, really had nothing to lose Going into the NCAA tournament, they were an 11 seed. They played Michigan State in that first four or that first four game, and they got by the Spartans in overtime. And they went on that run to the Final Four, where they ne- very nearly knocked off Gonzaga in the Final Four, losing to Gonzaga in overtime. Now they came back last year as a team with the target on their back. And make no mistake about it, they had a good season, but they ultimately finished 27-8. and They earned a four seed. They lost to North Carolina in the Sweet 16, and they never really challenged for a national championship. They didn't make the Final Four. They didn't win the Pac-12 tournament, and they did not win the Pac-12 regular season. So I believe it's just a very different mindset and a very different approach you have to take when you are the hunted rather than the hunter. And we'll see if North Carolina can do that this year. 
the other team in the league that comes in with very high expectations, like always, is Duke. And this is a Duke team that is now without Coach K. John Shire takes over. It seems, everything you hear or read, seems like it should be a very seamless transition from Mike Krzyzewski to John Shire. John Shire is a guy who played at Duke, who has been on that bench for years. And uh, it seems like it should be a smooth transition. Shire certainly recruited very well in preparation for this transition. And he now has the top two recruits from the class of 2022 on his roster and Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead. So, you know, he set up well from that perspective, but both of those guys are a little banged up uh, and working through some injuries. So maybe Duke doesn't get off to the fastest start in the world and maybe it takes them a little time to gel together. Last year, Duke did go to the Final Four. They did earn a two-seed, but there was times, even with Paulo Banquero, where something just seemed off about them. They weren't the most consistent team last season. They lost to Miami at home. They lost a Florida State team that didn't make the tournament. They lost to Virginia a team that didn't make the tournament at home. And of course, they lost that North Carolina game to end Coach K's regular season career against their most hated rival. They lost that game at home. So there, there seemed to be some times where they just weren't quite gelling correctly last season. They have a ton of talent on this roster. There's no doubt about that. But there, there has to be some question when you're going from probably the best college basketball coach to ever live to somebody who has never ran his own program. I don't care how much prep he's had under Mike Krzyzewski. I don't care, you know, how many games he's filled in for him last year. I I don't care. It's there's still something different about running your own program by yourself that you can never be ready for until you have to do it yourself. And as much as a slam dunk as it may seem with this transition plan, with the way that Shire's recruited, with all the talent that they have, we still got to see it and he's still got to prove it. So Duke starts the year as the number seventeen, number seven team in the AP preseason top twenty-five. So Duke and North Carolina, the big two, the blue bloods in the ACC, are in the top ten. But I think there's still questions about them, and there's the chance that things don't go necessarily the way that we expect, and and they don't end up as top ten teams, or maybe they're meeting back in the final four again. I think the other big question in the ACC is, is it Duke and North Carolina and the 13 Dwarfs? Or are there other teams like Florida State, like uh, Virginia, who can step up once again and really challenge at the top of the ACC? It's, I'll tell you the team it's not going to be. I, it's not going to be Syracuse. Syracuse has not been a consistent team, and I should have mentioned Jim Beheim when you talked about the dean of ACC coaches because obviously Beheim is a great coach. He's been around forever. He's led some great teams. But since Syracuse joined the ACC in 2014, 
they they had a great year in 2014, went 14 and 4 in conference. Since then, Syracuse's best conference record is 10 and 8 in 2017, a year they did not make the tournament. The highest seed they've earned since 2015 is an 8 seed. They've made some big runs. They went to a Final Four as a 10 seed. They made a couple Sweet 16s as 11 seeds. But this is not a program that has been national championship caliber in a long time. They are, year in and year out, a bubble team. And the ACC, That this is my biggest question about the ACC, is even if Duke and North Carolina perform at the level we expect them to, what is behind them in this conference? Can the ACC get back to the point where they're getting, you know, eight, nine teams in the tournament? In back-to-back years, 2017 and 2018, they got nine teams in the tournament. So that is the first storyline that I'm looking forward to as we get into this college basketball season. The second storyline I want to get into is whether this is the year that a team from outside the Power Six, so those five Power Five football conferences and the Big East, can win a national championship. And the reason I ask this question is because in the AP preseason poll, two of the top three are outside of those Power Six conferences. We got Gonzaga at number two, receiving 12 first-place votes. And then Houston, at number three, receiving a single first-place vote. Now, the last time we saw this happen was 2014, when UConn won the national championship out of the American Conference. But I'm not sure that truly counts here, given that they were a year removed from playing in the Big East, and they are UConn. So I think in reality... The last time we've seen a team like Gonzaga, like Houston, go out and win a national championship, you have to go all the way back to 1990 when UNLV won the national championship playing out of the Big West. So this would be a pretty big deal if Gonzaga or Houston are able to accomplish this. This is not something that happens every day. And I actually want to start with Houston, because I think if you watch college basketball, and even if you don't watch it that closely, if you just tune in in March for the tournament, you probably hear a lot about Gonzaga. But Houston is a team that really needs to be taken seriously. Over the years, Kelvin Sampson has built an unbelievable program there and what they've really done it with what Samson has really done in this identity the identity of the Houston Cougars has become is defense since 2018 Houston has finished with an average defensive ranking of just over 12th in the country in Ken Palm that is unreal the last two years they were eighth and ninth and that defensive toughness is why they are always right there at the end of the year and why they made an elite eight last year and a final four the year before and to go right along with that defense is their offensive rebounding they clean up on the glass 
The last three years, they've finished third, second, and second in offensive rebounding percentage. So they kind of remind me of those vintage Michigan State Tom Izzo teams that would just grind you down with defense and would always be tough rebounding the ball, especially on the offensive end, and get some of those those easy buckets and make it really hard to beat them. So I think that Houston is as well-positioned as anybody. What they did last year was unbelievable after making a Final Four, losing a bunch of pieces, sustaining a bunch of injuries, and now this year they get one of those key pieces back in Marcus Sasser, who played a huge role in their 2021 Final Four run. He was only able to play 12 games last year due to injury, and now this year he's back. They've also added some really highly ranked recruits in this freshman class, a couple top 40 guys who could be major factors on this team. They have the talent. They have the coach. They have the experience. I think they believe in themselves given what they've accomplished the last two years, and they could go out and win the national championship. The major question to me about this Houston team is what are they going to do when they have to make shots from the outside? Because last year in their elite eight loss to Villanova, a 50 44 loss, they went one of 20 from beyond the arc. And in the modern game of college basketball, if you can't knock down shots from the outside, that is going to be a limiting factor in whether or not, you can compete for a national championship. Now, Marcus Sasser comes back, and he's not the greatest three-point shooter in the world. In 2020, in 2022, he was shooting uh, just under 44% on a pretty small sample size there. But the year before that, he was just under 34%. So if he comes back and he really... Has it has improved his three point shot where he's a 40% guy? That's going to be a major improvement for them and something that they really need. We'll see. Like I said, he only played 12 games last year, but in those 12 games, he was just under 44%. He did take just over 100 threes. So maybe this is something that we can look at and say, okay, Sasser is that guy who is going to knock down shots from the outside. But if he's more similar to his 2021 numbers, which were just under 34%, then, you know, that's helpful, but it's not a 40% dead-eye three-point shooter. So that is my major question for them. But outside of that, I think they have everything that they need to win a national championship, and they will be a team that I am watching all year long. The other team outside the Power Six that is – in contention for the national championship, seemingly year in and year out now, in my opinion, the best program in the sport over the last 10 years is Gonzaga. And when you talk about Gonzaga, you have to start talking by Drew T- about Drew Timmy. And Drew Timmy is a guy who is a preseason All-American. I truly can't believe that he this is only going to be his fourth year in college basketball. When I was talking about him last year, I just made the assumption that it was in my mind that he was a senior and he was definitely gone after last year, but no, he was a true, he was a true 
junior, and he is now a true senior, his fourth year in college basketball. And over those three years, he has been one of the best players in college basketball, one of the faces in co- of college basketball, one of the big men that everyone has talked about. And when you have a guy like Drew Timmy on your team who makes close to 60% of his shots from the field, he's just under 20 points per game, 19, 18, 19 points per game, you know you're going to make the tournament. You're going to make the tournament as a protected seed, and you're going to have a chance to go to a Final Four and win the national championship. He has been the stalwart on this Gonzaga team over the past four years as they've come agonizingly, tantalizingly close to winning a national championship. And now the question is, can they get it done in his senior season? Now the Bulldogs do lose some pieces from last year. Chet Holmgren is gone. Andrew Nemhard is gone from the year before that when they went to the national championship game against Baylor. Now two years without Corey Kispert, was it, who was a huge part of that national championship team. They also, again, last year, they didn't have Jalen Suggs, who was a huge part of that national championship team. So a lot of talent has come and gone while Timmy has been there. And the question is, do they have enough talent around him this year to finally get over that hump? As far as who they actually return, they return Rasir Bolton, a member of the team last year who was previously at Iowa State. I think as far as inside-outside combos go, Bolton and Timmy is a fantastic combo. They returned Julian Strother at the small forward spot, who's been a contributor there over the past couple of years. So they have some experience. They have some older guys there. I think their biggest question mark is really going to be at that point guard spot. And can they find a guy who was like Andrew Nemhard last year, who was like uh, Jalen Suggs the year before that? And I think Let's be clear, Suggs, I think, was on a completely different level than Nemhard was. But Nemhard played admirably last year, even if he wasn't a top 10 player in the country like Suggs was the year before. So can they find a point guard who can compliment Timmy and who can fill out that roster? I think that's going to be the key for Gonzaga. But like I said... For my money, Gonzaga is the most consistent, best program in the country over the last 10 years, even if they haven't been able to get over the hump and win a national championship. They've been to two national championship games over the last 10 years. And, you know, for me, that 2021 team, I thought that was one of the best teams I've ever seen, I think. It's unfortunate that that Baylor team was just as good because I think those are two of the better college basketball teams I've seen in the one-and-done era. But it was not to be for the Bulldogs that year. Will it be the year for them this year? We will find out. Houston, Gonzaga, 
two great options to potentially win the national championship from outside the Power Six. UConn did it in 2014 out of the AAC. I'm not really counting that. We're going back to UNLV in 1990 out of the Big West since the last time that I believe it truly happened. The third and final storyline I want to talk about here today is the year of the big man in the Big Ten. So earlier this week, I was going through all the Basketball Hall of Fame awards. There's awards given out to the best player, one through five in the country. So you have the Koozie Award for the best point guard, the West Award for the best shooting guard, the Irving Award for the best small forward, the Malone Award for the best power forward, and the Abdul-Jabbar Award for the best center. And something really struck me looking at this list. When I was looking at the Koozie and West Award watch lists, I noticed there was just a single Big Ten guard on those lists, and that's Terrence Shannon from Illinois. And then looking at the Malone and Abdul-Jabbar watch list, there's six Big Ten players on that list. And, you know, the Big Ten is always known for having excellent big men, but it seems like this year more than ever, it's going to be a big man-dominated league rather than a guard-dominated league. So on that Malone Award watch list, we have Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana, Chris Murray from Iowa, Dante Scott from Maryland, and then on the Abdul-Jabbar watch list, we have the true, true big man, Hunter Dickinson from Michigan, seven-foot-four-inch Zach Eady from Purdue, and Cliff Amore from Rutgers. So you got six of those guys between the four and five spot that are on these watch lists, and it's just going to be another year in the Big Ten where you have all these great big men battling it out. For my money, I would have Hunter Dickinson as my Big Ten preseason player of the year. I just like how much he expanded his game last year to you know include a little bit more from the outside, but he's still a seven-footer who can do all the things that you need from a seven-footer in the Big Ten. And I know, you know, a lot of Maryland fans don't like Hunter Dickinson. They've had, uh, he's had some jawing back and forth with Maryland, whether it be on social media or actually on the court. But I think you just can't deny that the guy is a really talented basketball player. So for me, he would be my preseason player of the year in the Big Ten. But ultimately, I think the league as a whole is going to come down to who can figure out their guard situation the best? Who can figure out a way to get those big men the ball? Whose guards can make the most plays? Because at the end of the day, it's just a lot easier to make a play in basketball as a guard because you have the ball in your hands. You have to get a big man the ball. So I think it's going to come down to that. And for that reason, Illinois is a team that I like a lot. I like Terrence Shannon a lot. He's a transfer from Texas Tech. I was always impressed with him while he was at Texas Tech, and I I really like him 
coming back to Illinois. He's a Chicago guy. He's coming back to Illinois, and I think he'll be a big asset for them and enable them to uh, have that guard, that dominant guard that you need in college basketball, regardless of how good the big men are. So it'll be really interesting to see in the Big Ten. Do some of these bigs struggle getting the ball in their hands? Is there any frustration if they can't get the ball? Um, Or do they just dominate? Are they just that good that we're going to have these big men battling it out all year in the Big Ten like we've seen in the past. And I think that'll be really fun to watch. You know, in a in a day and age where we talk so much about positionless basketball and five-out basketball, like, yes, that's great, but it can be really fun to watch a couple 6'11", 7-foot guys, in Zach Eady's case, 7'4", just grind it out under the basket and see who's craftier, see who's stronger, see who's more physical, see who wants it more. There's a joy in watching that as well. If you liked watching the NBA in the 90s and the Patrick Ewing days, then you understand what I'm talking about. There's something fun about that as well. And that's ultimately what I love about college basketball is because you're going to have a conference like the Big Ten that is so big man oriented, that is so physical. And then you'll have other conferences that are more guard heavy, the Big East. The Big East is a physical conference, but it's a much more of a guard oriented conference. You have physical guards, but you have a lot of those six foot, six two guards that can get up and down the court and they're physical and they're strong, but it's a different style of basketball. And ultimately, I think that's what makes college basketball so great and why I'm so excited for yet another season of college hoops is because we get to see all these differences in styles, all these differences across leagues, and it should be a fantastic year. Like I said, this is a great time of year if you love college sports. We got the end of the football season going into bowl season and the playoffs. We got the start of college basketball. You know Gonzaga is going to be out there playing some fantastic non-conference games like they always do. You know Michigan State's going to be out there playing some fantastic non-con games like they always do. And now with the expansion of a lot of these leagues, we're getting conference play earlier and earlier, which I think is a great thing. I know in the Big Ten, we'll be getting a couple conference games in December, which is which is always a ton of fun. So just a great time if you love college sports. And here on this podcast, we love college sports. That's our show for today. I'm looking forward to getting back here, talking more hoops, talking more football in the weeks to come. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.